today. Thank you for inviting us. I hope you invite us back again after today. That's always the sign of, uh, of uh, something happening, which is good. So I hope that's the case for us today. Um, as Graham has said, I've, I've come to know and love Graham and Arlene uh, over the last, what is it, six months? Have we known each other now or six years? <laughs> it's, more than six it's more than six months. It's been a while and, and it's been great fun. And there's quite a few things. Uh, is that Howard? Hey, Howard, good to see you. Nice to see you. I used to know Howard from Bedford, you see. And uh, we used to do uh, Schools Christian Association together, didn't we, Howard? In fact, I'm seeing a friend... Do, don't, 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 don't mind. <laughs> do you remember Mike Hansdale? Do you, yeah, I'm, we're going on holiday with him. I'll say that I met you. Good to see you. Okay, that's great. So I used to know Howard. Anyway, anyway, back to today. Uh, so we've known um, um, Graham and Arlene for X months now. It's been really good fun meeting often with Graham, pretty often actually, to pray and chat and, and, and encourage one another. And so it's really good to be here. And also Donovan, uh, met Donovan properly for the first time a few weeks ago. He came to a meeting uh, which was at Hope Church uh, um, at, uh, in Shrewsbury. And that's been really good fun to get to know you guys and to, to feel welcome here. Tracy and I, uh, Tracy's my wife. As my wife, Tracy, been married nearly 17 years, and we've got three of our four kids, not six, <laughs> uh, thank the Lord, um, uh, four kids, um, three of them are here today, uh, James, where are you James, wave James, that's Jamesy in the Man United tri- uh, strip, uh, and then that's Hannah, wave Hannah, and then Abby, wave Abby, embarrassing teenager moment, and uh, our oldest isn't here, she's at, uh, at at our church, and she wants to be there uh, with her friends today. So, we are from a Baptist background, actually. I used to go to a church in Bedford called uh, Russell Park Baptist Church. Tracy became a Christian at Brickhill Baptist Church. So we kind of are are Baptist people, I suppose, if you like, sort of thing. So we kind of feel very at home here, and and welcome here, and we believe that uh, God is going to bless you, and uh, I trust that God is going to grow you and expand you as you make a massive impact here in Bridge North and beyond. I believe God wants to, you to know that you, your, this is kind of prophetic word perhaps, that your impact is to be beyond Bridge North. It is Bridge North, but it's also beyond Bridge North. So many outlying villages, so many places where there's no gospel impacts. And I just, I just give this and share this. Think bigger than what you're thinking at the moment. Think bigger. God has got plans for you to be a church that is a regionally affecting church in this area, I believe. And I humbly submit that to you to pray about, but that's what I feel. So if we could do the first slide. We're in Philippians uh, chapter 3 today, and I believe you've been doing a fantastic series on Philippians, and I've got the privilege of uh, uh, sharing Philippians chapter 3, and we're from 1 to 11 I think this is in the NIV version, but I normally use the ESV. So if you find there's a few discrepancies, check it out and make sure that I'm not preaching something really dodgy, or even slightly dodgy, I hope. Here we are. So Philippians chapter 3. Have you guys got it on the slides there? Okay, well, I'm going to crack on. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord! Exclamation mark. That's why you can raise your voice a little bit. Rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, 
Those mutilators of the flesh. Stop, stop there a sec. So, sometimes we can be too nice. I was once told by an elder at a church, Christ the King, a big church in Brighton. I don't know how many thousand they are now. When we were there, there were over a thousand, I think, weren't they? He said, Nick, John Hosier, he said to me, Nick, you're nicer than Jesus. I thought to myself, that's a big rebuke, actually. Because we're not called to be nice, we're called to preach the truth, to speak the truth in love, but nevertheless to speak the truth. And Paul is doing that. And we might think, gosh, this is hard words. And they are hard words. But what Paul is doing is protecting the sheep from those who are dressed like sheep, but really they're wolves. And he calls them dogs. Now, I've got a dog. We've got a dog in our family called Jasper. And he's a lovely dog. But Paul isn't talking about lovely dogs. He's talking about people who will consume you, bite you, devour you, nip at you, bark at you, snarl at you. That's what he's talking about. And Paul is saying there are people that will affect you in your church, Philippians, who are going to be like this. You've got to be aware of them. They are evildoers and mutilators of the flesh. And then he goes on. He isn't being nasty. He's just being a good shepherd, saying, be careful of these people. We'll come on to that in a second. For it is we, Paul says, who are the circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I'm circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Paul's saying, look, you know, you want to you judge according to human standards? You judge, judge me and look at me. I, I am just the bee's knees. I am up there in rank, if you want to use that as a criteria. But he goes on to say, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, rubbish. Some versions say dung. David Porton uses a stronger word than dung. He he considers it Rubbish, useless, muck, that I might gain Christ. He's not adverse to using harsh language, Paul, to get his point across. And to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So I've got some points for us to really focus on. Have we got it up yet? No, No, don't worry about it. First point, Paul says, he says, rejoice, rejoice. There's a song that we used to sing. Rejoice, rejoice, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Do you older ones remember it? The younger ones won't know that one. But us older ones, I'm now an older one. I don't even like saying that, but I actually am. I'm middle-aged. I'm 46 this year. Rejoice, rejoice, Christ is in you, 
the hope of glory in our hearts. He lives, he lives, his breath is in you. Arise, a mighty army, we rejoice. Do you remember that one? Fantastic song. And Paul says again and again throughout Philippians, Philippians 1, Philippians 2, Philippians 3, and Philippians 4, he says to the people, rejoice. It's Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You'll come to that next week. Keith Green, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. 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 And again, I say rejoice. We'll sing it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Okay, we're going to do this. This is so important to Paul. I want us to remember rejoice. So this side is going to say rejoice in the Lord always. And this side is going to go rejoice. rejoice. Donovan, come up here. You know this one. Re- Donovan is going to lead you in rejoice. I'm, I'm older than him. Yeah. Okay, so ready. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. Paul says rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice means to be conscious of God's favor and grace. Conscious of God's favor and grace. It means to delight in God's grace. You see, what happens is, the reason why we need to be continually reminded to rejoice is because what happens to me is, is I get depressed when I think about me. When I think about the context about me, I get depressed. I think about, well, I'm not like that person, and the church isn't quite growing like this church, and I can't do what they're doing, and the more I think about me, the more depressed I get. And what I'm learning, I'm like, when I'm thinking like that, I'm going to get hammered by the enemy. Because Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, not in your own failings. The Lord knows you were a failure, that's why he saved you. But when we're to rejoice in the Lord, we take our eyes off ourselves, off our context, off our circumstances, however bleak they seem, because the Lord knows the best medicine for that is to fix our eyes on Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord. I don't know about you, but I need to learn to do this more, to take the eyes off myself and put them on Jesus. Oh, but Lord... I'm not such a good dad as I should be. Oh, but Lord, I shouldn't have said that to Tracy. But Lord, I lost my, my temper with a member of the church, or, or at least inside I did, because I'm too good a Christian not to do it out. <laughs> but the Lord knows the heart, and, and, and let's not pretend. And the more I think about my failings, the more I think about me, the more depressed I can get. And Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. He's in jail, for Pete's sake. And he's saying, rejoice in the Lord. It reminded me a bit of that story in Acts. Acts chapter 16, you remember it. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God in jail. And the other prisoners were listening to them. 
By the, word, by the way, the, the, the Hebrew word for joy means to sing out loud. The Hebrew word for joy means to sing out loud. It's a, a crying, a ringing cry, a joyful shout. Paul is doing that in prison. He's doing that in jail. He's sitting there in jail. He's praying and he's singing. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was shaken at once. Oh yeah, there you go. So she's, she's joyfully singing. All at once, the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them to his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. In the midst of a context which is desperate, remember this is a man who's previously been stoned and beaten, flogged, He's in prison. He's got his mind on Jesus, not on himself. He's remembering all that God has done for him, which we'll come to. And he's filled with joy, inexpressible, that overcomes his feelings. His feelings fall into line with the truth. Rejoice in the Lord always. Joy came. A miracle happened, which we cannot explain. And then salvation flowed. And rejoicing begets joy. The more we practice rejoicing, the more joyful we'll be. When we wonder, why aren't I joyful? The, the truth is, we fix our eyes on ourselves and not on Jesus. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, when I fix my eyes on Jesus, joy flows. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says. Again, I say rejoice. If you're like me and you struggle on occasions with feeling down or depressed or sad, then like me, let me urge you and encourage you to fix your eyes on Christ, your Savior, your Lord, and rejoice in him that he loves you. And we'll come to what that means in just a second. I want to move on. The second thing I would want to encourage you in, and Paul says, there's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and that is this gospel of grace. This gospel of grace. Next slide, thank you. In the ESV, in the ESV in verse 3, it talks about not we who serve God by his grace, but we who worship by the Spirit of God. We who worship by the Spirit of God. You see, it's impossible to worship God unless you worship by and in the Spirit of God. Remember Jesus when he talked to the Samaritan woman. We worship on this mountain. He says, that's fine, we worship in Jerusalem, but one day we'll all worship in spirit and in truth. And see, the point is, grace is learning to worship God by the Spirit of God. By the Spirit of God. We were dead in our sins. We were all of us dead, unable to reach God, unable to have any contact with him, and able to please him, and able to have a relationship with him. And that's when, when we were sinners, Paul writes, isn't he, in Romans, dead in our sins and our transgressions, he sent Jesus to die for us. So Paul's saying, he's saying, when he's talking about 
these mutilators of, this, of the flesh. He's saying these are people who want you to take your eyes off Jesus and start thinking about what you are or aren't doing. These mutilators of the flesh want you to be aware of what, that you don't know enough. You need to know more. These mutilators of the flesh want you to think that you don't do enough. They want you to think that you aren't good enough for God. You've got to add things on. You've got to be a bit more religious. These mutilators of the flesh want you to do more and more and more in order to try and please God or connect with Him or have a relationship with Him. Get yourself circumcised. Don't eat this. Don't go there. Don't watch this. Paul says, when these people come into the church, they will throttle the life out of you. Because it's by grace, grace, grace that we're saved. It's not about what we have done or can ever do to please him. It's about what he has done and what, how he loves us unconditionally, without favor. Something that we don't deserve. It's a bit like this. I'll give you an illustration. My kids have heard this numerous times, so please don't yawn, children, and Tracy. <laughs> it's one of my favorite stories. I always tell it when I go somewhere new. Anyway, so if I come back, tell me to shut up if I tell this story again. So I'm like in my mid-20s. My mum and dad's house got a nice wrought iron gate on it in Bedford, where I know Howard from. <laughs> and I'm walking around the wall of the garden, just about to get into the wrought iron gate. I see these two men with a crowbar trying to get in my mum and dad's house. By the way, I went to prison to preach, and I told them this story. They thought it was quite funny. <laughs> You're a different audience. They're trying to get into the house with a crowbar. So I'm saying, stop, thief. They look up. One was a really large, fat guy, and the other was a skinny guy. They both rather comically climb over the other side of the wall and run down the alley. I'm running down the alley saying, stop, thief. Bedford Modern School is just by my parents' old house. You know where I mean, don't you, Howard? And all the kids were flooding back from the swimming pool, private school, lots of money, from the swimming pool up towards the school. There were like loads of them, right? So I'm running down after these two guys saying, stop, thief! It was really dramatic. And all these kids were parting like the Red Sea, and I was running after them. And I thought, actually, I'm beginning to close them down. I better s slow down a bit because I don't really want to get beaten up by these two thieves. Anyhow, one of them runs straight down the alley. The other one jumps over the wall of the night shelter. You know where I mean, Howard? Okay. <laughs> okay, over the wall of the night shelter in Bedford. And I think, ah, oh, this is good because I jump over the wall and I know the guy who runs the night shelter. In fact, it's part of the church that we used to go to. So I'm knocking on the door. Simon, a thief has just tried to rob my mum and dad's house. Come out. So then he comes out and then it was like, hey, confidence rises. <laughs> Me and my mate Simon is a big, tall chap. And then this little, because the fat guy went away, the larger guy went away, the little guy stayed. We were running after the little guy, and we were thinking, oh, we've got him now. He realized that his goose was cooked, and he knelt down in the rear saying, please don't hurt me. So we got him, Ooh. and then, and then we, we walked him back to the night shelter, sat him down. What do you think you're doing? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I've got to phone my dad, phone my dad. He's Greek, so he's in more Ooh, than I am. He gets very excitable like I do, but more so. So I'm like, Dad, what? I'm coming, son, I'm coming. I'm going to break his legs, my dad was saying. It's okay, Dad. Okay, 
I'll get the hammer. And um, anyway, he, he comes from work from Kempston. Uh, it's another local area that Howard and I know about and no one else does. <laughs> this is good. And he comes from Kempston to uh, the night shelter and he says, oh, what would you have done if you saw my mother, my grandma, in the house who was staying with us at the time? What would you have done? Nothing, nothing. I'm so sorry. I'm on parole. Please, please don't let me. Please don't report me. I'll have to go back to prison. I've got a baby. Tears were running. My dad was going, oh. <sighs> okay, here's what I'm going to do. He got his wallet out. He took out 20 pounds. He said, this is for you. Don't do this again. This is a chance for you. And I'm thinking, that's different from wanting to break his legs. <laughs> See, us Greeks need some time to calm down on the situation sometimes, right? And what that was an illustration of is this. Grace is never deserved. This man, like you and me, have done things wrong. Much worse than trying to get into someone's house. We have offended God so greatly. We are rebels. And God says, look, I'm not going to give you 20 pounds and pat you on the head. I'm going to send you my son to die for you. That's how valuable you are. And this is where I get 10 pounds out of my pocket. Who would like 10 pounds? No, no, who would like 10 pounds? Who would like 10 pounds? We'll come and get 10 pounds. Oh, Hannah, who else would like 10 pounds? <laughs> okay. It's the problem when you do an illustration, your kids know what you're going to do. They know that they're going to get happy. But the, the thing is, when Christ died, we all know he died for us. But he requires that we say, I want you, I want your forgiveness. He's saying, here I am, I died for you, will you believe in me? It's by faith, isn't it? By faith that we receive the forgiveness and love of God. It's not by trying hard. It's not by trying to change my behavior. It's not by trying to mutilate my flesh, beating myself up. It's by saying, you died for me. You love me unconditionally. You died for me when I'm at my worst. When were you at your worst last? I'm trying to think when I was at my worst last. It's so long ago. <laughs> no, Tracy will tell you when I was at my worst last. She'll probably tell you the date and hour that I last made her cry or something. But the thing is, the, the issue is, it's not how good you are, it's how good he is. It, the, the, the issue with grace, it's not about you or I, it's about what he's done for us. What we've got to do is receive it. Receive it. Believe it. And what Paul says, these mutilators of the flesh come and say, you're not good enough. You will only be good enough if you do, 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 do. And it, what it does is, it takes our eyes off Jesus... It takes the eyes off him and his glory and his majesty and his holiness and his goodness and his perfection and it starts focusing on us and what I'm doing and, and, and how good I am and, 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 and am I doing enough and am I praying enough and am I... Paul says these are mutilators of the flesh. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Think about him. Whatever is good, whatever is noble. Think about these things. Think about him. Let's be people who are less self-conscious. Let's be self-forgetful. Let's put our eyes on him and what he do has done and who he is and how much he loves us. Because we have no confidence, do we, in the flesh? Paul says, you want to you talk confidence in the flesh? Come on, let's bring it on. He's a fighter. He's a brawler. He uses language which is in your face, Paul. And he's saying, look, you want to talk about confidence in the flesh? Come along, let's do it. Sit right down. I'm this, I'm that, I'm this. I've got a PhD, I've, I'm, I'm a millionaire. I've... He said, you want to do that? We can do that, but it's all rubbish compared. It doesn't do anything for you. You can knock on a hundred doors. 
You can give out a thousand tracts. You can pray for hours and hours. But if your eyes aren't fixed on Jesus, then it's just a bunch of rubbish. It doesn't help you. Do you see what I mean? It's about grace, isn't it? And Paul says, look, I'm not embarrassed about telling you the same things because we need to hear it. Because our propensity is to drift from grace, is to drift to me. Am I doing well enough? Am I good enough? Am I working hard enough? Am I acceptable to God? And getting down that track is a dead end. It literally is a dead end. Rather, Paul says, look, think about what he has done for you. Think about his unconditional love for you. It's all for you, from him for you, from him to you. Love that flows from him to you. Are you, are you caught up in a little bit of legalism? It's easy to do, isn't it? I've been there. You kind of lose your first love for Jesus a little bit. It becomes stale, hard work, plowing, plodding, like through treacle. Your relationship with the Lord changes. He says, just remind you of that, that song, You're a Good, Good Father. You know that one? You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. I'm loved by you. It's grace. Start and finish of our faith is grace, grace, grace. And maybe a bit later we can have some time of prayer where we're praying into these things. I want to be free from legalism. I want to be free to enjoy God, to think about him and what he's done for me. So that's the second point. First point, rejoice. Fix your eyes on him. Second point, it's all about grace, God's free gift to you and I. And Paul goes on and, and he explains it, that this is all rubbish compared to knowing Christ. It's rubbish, it's, it's dung, it's, it's, it's horrible, useless rubbish. And then he goes on to talk about something which is slightly um, challenging in some ways. In verse 10, I want to know Christ. <laughs> Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. What does that mean? Well, it's about resurrection. If you want to hit the, the next slides, resurrection. It's about, as it says in verse 10, his life in us, to know the power of his resurrection in us. It's to do the things that Jesus did and told us to do. Let me just give you a little brief summary. Luke chapter 4, he starts with his kingdom manifesto. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, he sends out the 12 apostles. He tells them this, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. In Luke 10, he then sends out the 72. And he says to them, after the Lord appointed the 72 and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go, he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like wolves among, uh, like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. 
If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town, and blah, 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 it goes on. The point is, he says the same thing. Same thing he did. Same thing to the 12. Same thing to the 72. Go out there. Heal the sick. Be restorative. Change the thing. His kingdom has come. The kingdom that changes everything and expressed in physical healing for the individual. Salvation. Community transformation. All of it is the kingdom of Christ coming. Mark chapter 16. He says to all of us, the Great Commission, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes, they will drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them, they will place their hands on sick people, they will get well. You see, this kingdom life is the life of the resurrection. It's the life of the new kingdom that's come. Each of us in Christ has this power in us, the power of the resurrection, the power of the Spirit in us to be kingdom people, new creation people, people that change things as they are into what God wants them to be. New creation people. Galatians chapter 2 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the Lord, Christ died for nothing. Paul is saying, the life I now live, it's Christ in me. It's Christ in me. He's saying to us, let the life of Christ flow out of you. Whoops. Let the life of Christ flow out of you. I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection, participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. This doesn't mean that Paul's saying, I've got to attain a resurrection. I've got to attain my own resurrection. No, it's because it's by faith that we're saved and raised. It's by faith. What he's talking about is a form of sanctification that allows God's life to flow like rivers from him. It's a sanctification he's talking about. There are two things that we can gain from these verses which I think are legitimate. One, he's talking about rewards. Rewards. So, in, so it says in verse 14, later on in that passage, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. I press on towards the goal for the prize. And the Bible does talk about rewards. And as we follow him, as we let this life of Christ flow out of us, what Paul is saying in other places, I don't think he's saying it here, is that you're going to get rewards. I think it says that in Hebrews very clearly. But, but I think what he's talking about is, 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 is articulated in verse 12 when he says, I press on to make Christ my own. I press on. I, I want to have this resurrection, which means Christ is my all in all. That he fills my thinking when I go to work. He fills my thinking when I wake up in the morning, when I take the kids to school. He fills my mind. My mind, despite my circumstances, despite what the world might throw at me, is fixed on him, is fixed on Christ. That's what I think Paul is saying. He's saying, out of suffering and hardship, it's an opportunity to say, no, I am not going to let this bring me down. I'm not going to focus on this. Though it is real, 
I'm going to focus on Christ and on his grace. His grace is enough for me. Whatever the circumstance, whatever thing we face in life, good or bad, Christ is my sufficiency. It's not about me. It's about Christ in me. Lord, let your life flow out of me more and more. That's what Paul's talking about. And I tell you what, that's what we need, isn't it? We need Christ to reign in us more and more thoroughly. We need it for him to flow out from us more and more vigorously. Say, Lord, not me, not my will. I don't want to focus on me. I want to focus on you, on your grace, and on this resurrection from the dead, this new life that I find in you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, this has been in my mind for a while. Paul says to the church in Corinth, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate, contemplate the Lord's glory, contemplate, rejoice in the Lord, think on him, contemplate his grace, his mercy, his love, not myself, but contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. As you as a church, as our church, as we focus on Jesus more and more, we are being transformed to be like him. It's when, you, when you're in love and you focus on your beloved, you become like them. You are changed. And, and as that picture says, as we gaze upon him, he fills our vision. Our vision is changed. Our understanding is changed as we fix our eyes, not on a statue, but on the living Lord Jesus, on the resurrected Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? Are you with me? Three things from this passage. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Next slide, please. Second thing, focus on what he's done for you, not on what you are or haven't done or do do, but on his grace. And thirdly, let this new life flow from you. So maybe you're like this, and here we're coming in to finish. Maybe, maybe discouragement and depression can overtake you. The Lord wants this to be a moment now for you to be made anew in the joy of the Lord as you focus on him, as you think about him and what he's done for you and how much he loves you. How much he loves you. Maybe you're, you're really wanting to serve the Lord and what, what's become initially a joy has become a burden on your back and actually you've moved away from grace and you're thinking I've got to do more I've got to try harder and you're like a, a, a hamster on a wheel you're thinking oh I'm getting nowhere but I'm, I'm, I'm just really burnt out with doing and the Lord wants to say no it's about grace you can't I can't love you any more than I love you because actually this new life which means us doing stuff comes out of his power, his mercy, his ability, not our own ability, not our own effort, but out of him. I'm not saying that it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we don't get involved. Of course we do. It's not automatic. It's about our choices, but actually it comes as a joy rather than a burden and a duty. And maybe you'd like, you'd like to see more kingdom action in your life. Maybe you'd like, I'd like to see more kingdom action in my life. I'd like to see more people come to know Jesus. I'd like to see more people set free from things. I'd like to see more people healed in his mighty, resurrected 
name. It's not any name. It's the name above all names. Maybe you'd like to see more action in your life. Maybe, maybe life for you is just be like, it's a bit mundane and boring. I come to church. I see some songs. I give some money. I say some prayers. I go home. And then it's no, life is normal. It never sh- it shouldn't be, it's not to be like that for us. We're the resurrected people. Anything could happen at any time for any one of us. Just step out in faith. You see someone, can I pray for you? Yeah, I'm going to pray for you. Wow, something happens. The Lord wants us to say, yeah, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to pray for this person. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. I'm going to dare to phone them up when you're prompted by the Spirit. I'm going to send them a text. I'm going to invite them around for dinner. Who knows what will happen? It's for you. There's no boundaries. There's no borders. There's no level of spirituality where you have to reach it before something happens that's amazing. No. So are you discouraged? The Lord wants to bring you joy. Maybe you're depressed. The Lord wants to bring you freedom and joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Are you full of burdens? Having to work hard? Well, the Lord wants to remind you of grace. Free you from those burdens. Are you looking for the excitement that comes from the kingdom life? Not just existing. The Lord wants to bring you a refreshing to believe that he can use you in your place of work. He can use you in your fellowship. He can use you in your street, in your community, wherever you find yourself as his ambassador because you have his life in you, the resurrection life pouring out of you. Amen? Should we just pray? And shall I hand over to you, Graham? Father God, Father, we love you. You're a good, good Father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And you love us. It's who we are. Lord, we just receive your love. We just want to thank you for Jesus, our Savior, our Lord. It's, it's not what we have done or can ever do for you. It's what you have done for us, Lord. We are so amazed at your amazing grace and love for us. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We thank you, Lord, that you bring joy unspeakable because our names are written in the book of life. Because, Lord, this new life is in us because our sins have been forgiven. Our past has been completely done away with, forgotten and forgiven. We are new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. This new life in us, the life of the resurrection, the kingdom that has come, that will come and is about to come. It's a kingdom that's coming and has come already. And Lord, we are people of that kingdom. Oh Lord, we pray, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Remind us, Lord, of your amazing grace. Fill us, Lord, with unspeakable joy. Lord, we praise you that we're loved by you. Hallelujah. Amen.